Hello and welcome to The Scrum. It's a podcast we do about politics, local and national, here at WGBH News. Today we're actually going international to talk about Republican frontrunner Donald Trump's international antecedents. Uh, talking with a couple of people who have watched politics in foreign lands uh, proceed in a way that they think might tell us a little bit more about this election cycle and what could happen if Donald Trump is president of the United States. Barring some sort of dramatic development, the chances seem pretty good that Donald Trump will be the Republican nominee, which is where our guests come in. Robert Trasinski is a senior writer at The Federalist and author recently of a piece called Donald Trump is America's Berlusconi, whose drama trumped his agenda. Jonathan M. Katz is writer-in-residence at Duke University's John Hope Franklin Humanities Institute and the author of the book The Big Truck That Went By, How the World Came to Save Haiti and Left Behind a Disaster. He also recently wrote a piece for The Atlantic titled What Happens When a Celebrity Becomes President. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for having me. So I, I want to start out talking with you two separately and then try to get you talking with each other because I'd love to hear you bounce uh, ideas off each other rather than just have me speak to each of you in turn. But let's start with you, Jonathan, because I think most of our listeners, not all of them, are going to be more familiar with uh, Silvio Berlusconi than uh, Michelle Martelly. Um, tell me about Michelle Martelly, also known as Sweet Mickey, and what the parallels are that you see in his rise with Donald Trump's rise here in the U.S.? Yeah. Th so there's, I mean, I, I feel like it's sort of a similar answer if you were asking somebody who'd never heard of Donald Trump before, just going to show how similar the two are. It's like, where do you, with Michelle Martelli, like, where do you even begin? And I'm going to sound like I'm like making stuff up here because like some of this stuff is so ridiculous, but, but just stay with me because this is all true. So Michelle Martelli just finished being president of Haiti. He had a five-year term that started in 2011, about a year after uh, the, the major earthquake that hit there. And he is famous because before he became president, he was a singer. Um, it's a kind of Haitian music called compa. Um, he was a very popular guy at the annual carnival, you know, the annual Mardi Gras. And this guy's shtick was that he would get up on stage and he would just do anything. He would say anything. He would insult anybody. He would strip naked. He would hump a like drum 100 set. Like 100% naked. Naked. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. He would, he would, he would get on stage in a diaper. He'd get on stage in a mini skirt. I mean, this guy was, he was wild and he's awesome by the way. Like I, like before he became president, like I was a big fan of his music. Like I, 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 he's, he's a great singer and the stuff's a lot of fun. Um, but he, uh, had some interesting politics as well. Um, his politics went back to the early 1990s, the wake of the uh, dictatorship of Jean-Claude Baby Doc Duvalier. Uh, and guys who had been loyal to the Duvalier regime um, overthrew a president that came after him and took power in a junta. Um, and he was very close to some members of that military junta. They used to hang out at a, at a nightclub that he ran. Um, and it seems that a lot of his sympathies kind of went in their direction. Um, and so, when so we're talking started, authoritarianism and uh, or is that not the right term to use? No, it's totally it. I mean, he he's somebody who sort of believed that, you know, there, there should be a, a strong hand at, at uh, the top of government. Um, and, uh, you know, he was a big believer in the military, um, which is a very controversial uh, proposition in Haiti because actually the military was abolished there in 1995. So the fact that he was pro-military meant that he actually was going to rebuild the military from scratch. 
Um, and when he started running for president, everybody thought it was a joke. I mean, uh, this was an election, if, if you can think back to 2010, um, the big news then was that another famous person, another singer, was going to be running for president, uh, Wyclef Jean. Right. Um, and he- Formerly Wyclef of was, the Fugees, as most yeah. of our listeners will know. <laughs> exactly, yeah. And so so uh, Wyclef was, was going to present his candidacy, um, which ultimately was rejected by uh, electoral officials in Haiti. Long story short, he's not really Haitian. He was born in Haiti, but had, had grown up in the United States and didn't meet the residency or, or a bunch of other requirements. Um, but at the beginning, when, when uh, Sweet Mickey, as Michelle Martelly was known, presented himself, we just thought like, oh, this is some kind of like crazy publicity stunt. And like, this guy's never actually going to be president. Um, but I found myself in a position that I think a lot of journalists have found themselves in with, with Donald Trump, where I was sort of covering Mickey at the beginning of his candidacy because it was like sort of a fun, interesting story. And there would be points along the way where like, it wasn't po like we, we figured that, you know, nobody in the U.S. is really going to be that deeply interested in the minutia of Haitian politics. So what's a vehicle that we can use to make this story palatable to people overseas? It's going to be interesting. And here's this crazy, wild, say anything guy um, who, who, who is both very, very Haitian in a way that Wyclef was not, but also speaks great English. He had spent a lot of time living in Miami. So you ended up using him as the vehicle to get American uh, readers interested in what was going on. Exactly, exactly. All right, and let me, let I me don't interrupt know. you there, by yeah. the way. I'm sorry, because sure. I know there's a lot more to the story, but I want to make sure that we get Robert in here. Um, mm -hmm. Robert, you may not need to offer the same primers to the identity of Silvio <laughs> Berlusconi that we just got about uh, Sweet Mickey from Jonathan. Tell me a little bit about the similarities that you saw and that you argued were noteworthy in your piece for The Federalist between Silvio Berlusconi, among other things, the uh, notorious convener of Bunga Bunga parties, <laughs> uh, telecommunications magnate. What do you see as key similarities between him and Donald Trump? Well, certainly it was his success as a businessman. Uh, he had owned a, a, a whole media empire, a, a chain of television stations. He had won a big case uh, that allowed him to take uh, – individual TV stations, individual tie-in cities, and consolidate them together into the first private national network. So he, you know, he'd, he'd made this huge fortune in media, and he was very media savvy. He knew how to control the media, how to appeal to the media. And he was this colorful, larger-than-life personality, uh, much in the same way, well, we can debate whether Trump's larger or smaller than life in, in the wider perspective of things. But you know, he was a colorful personality and had that kind of celebrity appeal. And I think that that goes to a lot of the similarities between them. And I think you also are going to see that in terms of the, the, the cautionary tale in my mind is how that influenced how he governed, because when he governed, it really ended up being all about him all of the time. It ended up being about his various corruption scandals, his various business interests and how they were connecting to what he was doing as president. And of course, about his somewhat extravagant uh, personal life including the, you mentioned the Bunga Bunga parties, these sort of orgies, uh, you know, the dancing girls and, and wine and everything that, that he would have going on uh, at his big estates. Uh, and that goes to, you know, Donald Trump having a certain record in that, in that regard uh, uh, and boasting about his prowess with the women. As, yeah. as improbable as it seems, you know, with Donald Trump at the age he is, you know, Berlusconi was about the same age too, and it didn't seem to slow him down. So, it was this idea of a somebody coming up on the basis of the the big personality and the celebrity and the you know claiming the business success 
as opposed to coming up through the normal channels of a politician of having policy ideas or having built, you know, a party organization and that and that sort of thing. Uh, Jonathan, did Sweet Mickey come up through any sort of standard political channels as unusual a figure as he was? Or was he also this sort of brand created 100 percent from scratch, politically speaking? I mean, he was definitely a brand created 100% from scratch. And, and he's definitely somebody who is part of, of what seems like a global trend uh, where thanks to technology and taste and all a whole other mix of things, celebrities, people who are, are just famous or at a certain point famous for being famous, um, are able to do very well in taking advantage of democracies because they've got this huge name recognition and people come out to vote for them. The thing is a little different about Haiti than, than a lot of these other situations is that the political system there is so corroded over you know just decades of foreign interference and the replacement of functions of the state by non-governmental organizations and aid groups and stuff like that, that it's not like there was like a big political apparatus for a lot of other people to rise up out of either. But there were definitely more a lot of much more traditional uh, candidates who had had uh, ties to the sitting government, who had had experience in, in uh, governments before. Um, his big opponent in the, the final runoff that he won to, to win the election in 2011 uh, was a former first lady, um, which we also know is a, a path to power in the United States as well. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, he, he was definitely a complete outsider and a lot like Donald Trump. He took advantage of the fact that he could say, I'm not a politician. I'm rich, so nobody's going to be able to to buy me off. This is something that that his his fans would talk about all the time when he was when he was running for president. He could say, you know, look, I'll say the things that other people won't. I'll cuss. I'll be dirty. I will talk like you. I will I will be like you. And together we're going to rise up. And through my huge outsized personality, we're going to completely transform this country because these other people they don't. It was, it was the exact. Yeah, it was, yeah. It was really the yeah, exact yeah. same uh, thing as Donald Trump. Robert, did, you know, did, did, oh, go ahead. About, yes. The interesting thing about Berlusconi is he also came up at a point where the sort of center right, uh, the Italian center right, had been sort of emaciated or, or decimated by a corruption scandals. And so a lot of the traditional politicians on the center right had been tainted by this scandal. And he came in as the savior of the center right in Italy uh, and, again, campaigning against a corrupt system. And you can see the overtones in, in the way Donald Trump makes that same appeal that, you know, all these politicians have been bought. I've bought them. I should know. And right. and makes out that there's this corrupt establishment that he's coming from outside it. and He's going to be completely different. All right. I want to ask each of you to talk about the impact of these individuals governing their respective countries. Um, Jonathan, uh, remind me, how long did uh, Sweet Mickey end up serving as president? He served a full five-year term and just stepped down amid riots into a complete power vacuum on the 7th of February very recently. So you're saying that he didn't have a good net effect on the country? Oh, no. I don't think anybody would argue that. And maybe Mickey would. Um, yeah, no, his his rule um, was extremely, extremely problematic. Um, a lot of the things that he he promised to do, I guess he, he did. I mean, you know, he 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 said, you know, I'm going to be, you know, this this big guy. I'm going to be this big voice. I'm not going to take any anything from, you know, any crap from other politicians. Um, but what ended up happening was in practice what that meant. Uh, was that there was complete gridlock in the government. Um, the the, the uh, president and, and the parliament didn't work together at all. And so he just allowed parliament to dissolve and started ruling by decree. Um, he didn't hold a single election. Um, he, he didn't even allow local elections to be held. 
um, until the very, very end of his term. So and in a country like Haiti, the effect was that even mayors' terms expired. And so the, the president ended up individually appointing all of the individual mayors around the country. And OK, um, so there it, there's it, yeah. massive structural dysfunction. Was there any mm-hmm. ideological cohesion to the approach he took? Not really. Um, so, like I said earlier, he was a, a pro-military guy, and at the beginning, he was he, he made a lot of noise about trying to uh, restore the the, the military. Um, but that never got off the ground because uh, his sponsors, his big supporters in the United States government, weren't on board with that project. Um, one of the interesting things, and and I think that this might be a, a key to the way that uh, Donald Trump could govern if 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 that were to come to pass. Um, and it sounds like I, I think it's very similar in the case with Berlusconi is that it really just was all about Martelli. So like there were there one example is that um, when he was running for president in late 2010, early 2011, one of the major issues was an ongoing cholera epidemic in, in Haiti. Right. It was brought that. to Haiti by United Nations peacekeepers. Um, and even at a point where this was a controversial proposition everywhere else. Now everybody accepts it, including every scientist and researcher who looks into it. But Mickey uh, Martelli was, you know, saying at that time, when I come to power, we're going to get rid of the UN. Uh, we're going to get rid of the peacekeepers. We're going to make them pay for, for what they've done, which was a very popular position in Haiti and still is. But once he got into power, he made a calculation, which was that without the UN peacekeepers in place, he was going to be more vulnerable. And there was no way that he was actually going to be able to hmm. reconstruct this military on, on any kind of realistic time. Scale. So he covered so himself. He ended up just, com- yeah, he covered, he covered himself. He just, he completely backed off that pledge. Robert, in any Drew, oh, given go situation, ahead. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, finish up. Sorry, I, I, I don't mean finish that, up, you know, giving the, the full measure of, of sweet making, right. but finish your point. I didn't let you make. No, I, all I was saying was that in, in any given situation, if the choice was what's good for Mickey or what's good for Haiti, the choice was always what's good for Mickey. Uh, Robert, what about, and, and again, I think there's a little more familiarity with Berlusconi. You talked about some of the scandals that marked his time in office. He was the longest serving Italian prime minister after World War II, correct? Yes. That's, now, that's by Italian standards, where they tend to have governments that come in and out. You know, it's very much this chaotic parliamentary system where you have a lot of factional parties and governments, you know, the uh, coalitions that they form to have a prime minister, they don't tend to last very long. But yeah, he did last uh, the longest anybody after World War II in several different, you know, several different stages. Uh, you know, he was in and he was out and he was in and he was an out. What I find interesting is in, I think it was in 2001, he campaigned on something he called the contract with the Italians, which was very much deliberately modeled on the contract with America that Republicans had had in the United States. And if you look at the things that are in the contract with the Italians, it, it would not be considered a terribly right-wing agenda by American standards. It is by more. It's more so by Italian standards. But it included things like getting tough on crime and cutting taxes. And the interesting thing is, none of those things he actually ended up doing. Uh, the only mm-hmm. thing I think, uh, the only promise he kept was to uh, not uh, was to protect the pension levels being paid to people who are getting government pensions. So it was more of the, you know, he, it's like somebody promising he's going to keep Social Security payments where they are. And he kept that. But the all the stuff about cutting taxes, the, anything about lower government, less regulation, any of the reforms that he promised, none of those materialized. And one of the major reasons they never materialized is that he was always embroiled in scandal. He was always embroiled in these, you know, the Bunga Bunga Party uh, reports and, and being dragged through the courts in various ways. So given that and, there were those distractions, did he make an effort to implement the changes he'd promised and was he rebuffed or did he just sort of let it go? 
he made an effort, but it was the sort of thing where how much it's hard to tell where the extent to which he made an effort that was that he then himself then distracted from, right? <laughs> versus right. making an effort having it be having it be a failure. And I think part of the lesson here is when you have somebody who campaigns more on a personality than on an agenda for which there's wide support. Uh, if he if if his base of support is I'm this great personality and just by sheer force of my personality I'm going to get things done, you tend not to have in place you know the actual ideological coalition, the support from other politicians, all the things that are going to actually be required to achieve any of that. Robert Trusinski, let me challenge you a little bit on that. And and by the way, feel free to hop in at any point, Jonathan. Mm-hmm. My sense with Trump is that well, there isn't a well developed agenda. I shouldn't say that there aren't perhaps well-developed policy proposals, but I feel like there actually is a very cohesive agenda. It's this combination of anti-globalism and uh, opposition to what is described as a uh, corrupt um, political establishment that's beholden to big donors. Both those points, by the way, it's very interesting to note, I think. Bernie Sanders is actually sort of in agreement with Trump. on. I shouldn't say sort of fully in agreement with Trump. And then you have the nativism and the xenophobia, the promise to uh, keep out new Muslim immigrants from the United States, the suggestion that we are going to have to do uh, things that we have never considered doing before in order to make America safe and strong again. Doesn't that constitute something of a coherent agenda, even if we find it objectionable? I'd say there's something of a coherent worldview in this idea. Of, okay. you know, the only problem with America is those darn foreigners, that's the Chinese and the Mexicans and the Muslims and the Muslims or whatever who who are coming to uh, who are and, and all these people who are drawing uh, we've negotiating bad deals with them. But I think actually the the actual unstated coherent idea behind Trump's campaign is this idea that his chief thing is he's a deal maker. So it's this idea that yes. you know the government would work just fine if you just had a competent person who could make good deals and no fundamental structural reforms, no real uh, change in the system is required. I think that's a great parallel to Italy because you know we're seeing now in Italy that they have this whole you know across Europe they have this whole structure uh, especially in the southern European countries of a lot of government spending, a lot of very generous government pensions uh, that you know, ultimately was supported by a lot of borrowing uh, that couldn't that couldn't continue. So that's why we have this whole euro crisis. Some fundamental structural reforms were required in the past 10, 15 years in order to avoid the problems that they're having right now. And instead of doing that, you had a guy who just said, you know, vote for me because I'm I'm the most interesting and, and exciting guy. I have the most I have this forceful personality. I said the same thing with Trump that, you know, the structural reforms that might be needed to great example. He was asked, "How are you going to save Social Security?" He said, "Well, I'm going to I'm going to go after the Mex- after the after the Chinese. They're eating our lunch. I'm going to put these tariffs on the Chinese, and there'll be so many jobs coming back to America. Social Security won't be a problem." And you know, there's a- no way in which the numbers of the economics make sense in any of that. But it's this idea: the whole system doesn't require any real reforms. It just requires one guy, a guy, the right guy in power who'd be, who'd be competent and who'd be, drive good bargains, and then everything would be fixed. Jonathan Katz, you want to hop in here? Yeah, it's just it's it's kind of funny and ironic and scary and terrible because the the it's it's just this inherent contradiction in the heart of democracy that that could destroy liberal democracy itself, 
where because you have somebody come to power because there's a large enough percentage of the population that believes what they say when they say, through my sheer force of will, through my sheer individual greatness, I am going to just make all of these problems in your life go away and I'm going to make everything better. Just give me all the power. All the power then becomes invested in that person and then it becomes very, very difficult in a democratic system for it to be taken away again. And and you see it happen in a lot of different places in the world. And I think Americans somehow assume that, that we must be immune to that because of how long we've had a system that's functioned in a different way. But it could happen anywhere. And, and, and right now it's, it's terrifying because it looks like it could actually be happening here. I'm really glad that you brought that up because I wanted to ask both of you to what extent uh, the, as you see them, cautionary tales of Haiti and Italy could be replicated here under a Trump presidency because obviously we have this very different political infrastructure in the U.S. that those nations didn't have. We have the Constitution. We have our system of uh, government with you know competing branches and checks and balances. So wouldn't those presumably, in the event that Donald Trump became president of the United States, wouldn't those guard against the sort of rapid deterioration that you were talking about, Jonathan? I would hope so, but I, I, I don't think so. I, I don't think that there's any guarantee. I mean, there's been institutional rot in the United States as well. I mean, look at what's happening right now with the, the branches of government, right? I mean, you have a you have a Congress um, that is basically being held hostage by a, a small uh, but very vocal and very influential number of people um, who are, are willing to destroy their own party's leadership in order to ensure that the basically no action is taken. You have a Supreme Court that's down one person. And, and again, you have the Senate saying that they're, they're not going to allow that vacancy to be, be filled for at least a year. Um, if you were then to damage the, the, the presidency, the executive branch, I don't know. You're sort of running out of institutions there that, that can really take care of it. And there's another I mean, there are other institutions that are very important as well that have also degraded, one of which not to bring our own ego into this, but is the media. Um, you know, journalism in the United States is hurting. I mean, there's a lot of amazing journalism that's being done, uh, but the industry is is in chaos. And, and a, a lot of our old practices and a lot of things that we did that traditionally kept p powerful people in check and, and kept the public informed um, for, for economic reasons, for cultural reasons, for all kinds of reasons are, are, are getting harder to do. So our institutions are, are, are getting weaker. And you think back uh, to, to, you know, the, the 1930s, um, you know, and, and there were similar conversations. And I, I remember, I think it was Sinclair Lewis wrote a story called um, it, can't it Can't Happen, happen Here. here yeah. And yeah. Uh, 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 there was a, a, a famous and wonderful retort that I happen to know because it was published in the Daily Northwestern, my, my, my old alma mater newspaper, um, written by Saul Bellow. It was his first major published story. And it was a response to that called The Hell It Can't. Robert Trasinski, are you as uh, pessimistic as Jonathan Katz is about the inability of American institutions and traditions to uh, safeguard the nation in the event of a Trump presidency? Well, I do think that you know Trump has a certain history of, of hyping a lot of big claims of what, what he's going to do and then not, you know, in the business world of making a lot of big hyped up claims and then not coming through on them. And he says he's a great deal maker, but there's a lot of deals he hasn't made. So I think that if he were to get into office, I think you'd find that he would uh, sort of there would be a lot. Of, it would all collapse. There'd be a lot of gridlock, which may not be the worst thing. My or my more optimistic in my more optimistic moments, I think he's going to end up maybe being more like 
other celebrity candidates like uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger in California or Jesse Ventura, Jesse Ventura up in Minnesota. Yes. I used to, my in-laws are in Minnesota, I used to have a t-shirt that said, has outline of Minnesota that says, my governor can beat up your governor. <laughs> I grew up uh, in Minnesota and was gone by the Ventura era, but I remember that shirt. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So um, the thing is that Jesse Ventura, got big, colorful personality, had a radio show that gave a foothold in the media and the media savvy. And he did some great things, like when the reporters showed up for the first day of covering his governorship, they got their press badges. And the badges said, official jackal on the top. Of <laughs> <laughs> so that's some things that were kind of endearing to the average yeah. <laughs> Things that were endearing to the average person. But he came and went, and really, aside from some light rail boondoggle that he pushed through, he basically had no impact. Same thing with Schwarzenegger in California. You know, he tried actually to do some structural reforms on the California budget. They were they were they were batted down, and then he just decided, I want to stay in office, and that's my goal is to stay in office. And he had no real impact on the direction of California politics or their budget or anything like that. And I think the most optimistic thing is that Trump ends up being like this. We get four years, hopefully only four years, of the Donald Trump uh, reality TV show presidency. And at the end, nothing's really been done and nothing's really changed. Uh, the only cautionary thing, as someone who's from the right, the cautionary thing I would take from Berlusconi's example was that when Berlusconi left, he also – his 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 political faction, his political party, Forza Italia, pretty much dissolved – and the Italian right was no better off, no stronger, no in no better position uh, than it was. It's probably in a weaker position than it was when he came up because yeah. there were no new leaders that were then coming up in his place. So There's I think, some... you know, he he might leave his side that he might leave the Republican Party in worse shape. Uh, but hopefully at the best, he'll sort of come and go and, and no, nothing will really have changed. Jonathan Katz hopping in. There's there's one really important thing to keep in mind. I mean, I I, I don't know if this is me disagreeing or if it's it's, it's a caveat. Um, I know it's something that just scares scares me to death, um, which is that I, I do think that it is very possible for Donald Trump to follow a similar path to power as somebody like Michelle Martelly in Haiti or Silvio Berlusconi or, or Arnold Schwarzenegger. Um, but the difference is the office that he's going into. No one, there has never been a position like the president of the United States as it exists in 2016 in terms of the amount of, of power and influence that it has. I mean, we, we talk about sometimes casually, you know, the nuclear codes and, and the finger on the button and, and the red phone. And we use them as these, you know, metonymical and metaphorical concepts, but they're real. I mean, they're really there. And we have allowed as as Americans, and, and this has happened with the Republicans, it's happened with the Democrats. Um, everybody has been participating in this and complicit in this going back decades into the construction of, of what's known as the imperial presidency. Mm -hmm. And no president has ever, including Barack Obama, including George Bush, including Ronald Reagan, no, no president has ever rolled back any of the power that they've gotten. They've only used the power they have to accrue more power. And, and so, you know, yeah, I mean, Silvio Berlusconi, like kind of like the worst that, you know, he did was was sort of mess up Italy and mess up his party. The worst that Michelle Martelly did um, was mess up a country that was extremely messed up and weaken a government that was already extremely weak. If Donald Trump comes to power, if he's sitting in the White House with his finger literally potentially on the button, what could happen? He, he I mean, he could he could actually kill all of us. I mean, that's an actual thing that could happen. It's a power that he has. He'll have the power to surveil all of us. He'll have he'll have the power over the CIA and the FBI and the U.S. military. 
that is a that is a level of power that despite the fact that we have seen antecedents in other parts of the world that has never been put in the hands of anybody like that before and we and i hope it goes well if that's what happens but we just don't know where that could lead but the ultimate irony in terms of making a comparison between donald trump and michelle martelly is that the main reason that michelle martelly was able to come into power was that in an extremely problematic election where the initial results showed that he actually should have been eliminated, a representative of the United States government came to Haiti personally to make sure he was put back into the race, and that person was the Secretary of State of the United States, Hillary Rodham Clinton. Robert Trasinski, can you say anything to uh, cheer me up after that downer of, a, <laughs> downer of well, an observation, I, 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 set of observations? No, I, I agree with I, I'm I'm sort of for Trump alarmism uh, in the general in the general sense. I think that uh, unlike the Italian political system, which has always been very chaotic, or you know Haitian the system, which is even more uh, a, a position of, of coming from a normal state of chaos, I think we have a lot more to lose here uh, in terms of having a functioning political system and having a system with at least some degree of checks and balances still left. I agree with the idea that the presidency has been made way too powerful. My only solace I would take, the optimistic thing I would take, is that a lot of people who have been on both sides, who have been complicit with the expanding power of the presidency, would suddenly discover its constitutional limits if Trump were in the office. I think Republicans <laughs> would discover it. And de you know, normally what happens is if a Republican's in the office, Democrats discover the limits of the presidency. If a Democrat's in office, Republicans discover the limits of the presidency. My hope that, again, trying to find the silver lining here, is if Trump were in office, both Republicans and Democrats would have some incentive to both find the limits of the presidency and try to reassert that and hem him in, which might actually end up being uh, a good thing as far as that goes. All right. We got to end there on that big picture, uh, forward looking glass half full take. Robert Trasinski, senior writer at The Federalist. Thank you very much for taking the time to talk with us. My pleasure. And Jonathan M. Katz, writer in residence at Duke University's John Hope Franklin Humanities Institute and author of the book, The Big Truck That Went By, How the World Came to Save Haiti and Left Behind a Disaster. Many thanks to you as well. Thank you. I'm joined now by my colleague Peter Kadzis, the editor of WGBHnews.org and an integral part of the Scrum podcast. Peter, does that conversation that you just heard make you more or less concerned about the prospect of a Trump presidency? I have to say, by the end of it, I was uh, more concerned, more concerned than I have been for a while. And, uh, and I guess I'd say I am pretty concerned. I mean, I was in Italy this summer, and every opportunity I had, I tried to engage people in talking about Berlusconi. And I wondered whether I'd have any success because how many people, you know, I have no Italian. I can say prego. You know, that's about it. Um, Dopio, my other, <laughs> my, my, other, uh, my, my other piece of Italian. But I, I found that anyone I asked um, was very interested in talking about Berlusconi. Um, I found a, a good number of people who liked him. I had a fascinating conversation in Florence with uh, uh, two guys, cousins, who were in a uh, family-owned um, leather and jewelry business. that had been in the family for 140 years. Um, they were fiercely in favor of Berlusconi. They thought he was a crook. 
They thought he was a charlatan, but he was their crook. He was their charlatan. I mean, Italian politics are a circus compared to American politics. Um, I'm not sure whether to say at their best or at their worst, but they yeah, have assassinations, kidnappings, they, all sorts of horrific stuff. They they have a sense of um, Berlusconi looking out for people like them. And what you find in Europe is you have a, a, a sizable bourgeois, as the French would say, middle class who are shop owners. They haven't gone to university. They're, they're well-educated. They're smart. They're well-traveled. Well I mean, these two cousins travel all around the world for their business. As a matter of fact, they sell leather goods to some of the, the nifty shops on uh, not only Madison Ave, but our own Newbury Street. Um, and... and uh, they thought he was okay. G given how bad Italian politics were, they thought that he at least would not hurt them. Interesting, um, later in my visit, I was talking to uh, a middle-aged, upper-middle-class Italian matron. Um, we were at a beach cafe. She had her family with them. Sounds like a Fellini movie. Here. Well, and, and, um, yeah, the, the, I, I had this picture, you know, everyone's sunning themselves on Mussolini yeah. towels or something. <laughs> no, but I, you know, we were talking about them and I said, well, d doesn't his womanizing bother you in the age of the girls? And he said, look, there are worse things in the world for uh, a, a young girl to be introduced to romance by an older, rich man. Wow. Now, maybe that's... Uh, Not what uh, I want for my daughters down the road. No, no. But... And by the way, she doesn't, you, you know, she wasn't saying he was a great guy. She was just a little more worldly about right, it. Right, um, But I'll tell you, we have our own version of Berlusconi and Donald Trump already in office, and that's Paul LePage in Maine. Now, I'm no, not at all surprised that LePage endorsed Trump. Um, the difference is LePage, who, who is a problematic character, I mean, uh, many of our listeners may remember, he, I mean, his latest outrage, there are so many, was when he was um, reflecting on Maine's serious heroin problem, which is very true, and he talked about, you know, two black dealers coming into Maine and impregnating, you know, yeah. white Maine girls. Yeah, that was as bad as almost anything we've heard from Donald Trump. Yeah, I, I mean, um, and he tried to apologize and then in the course of apologizing realized, nah, I'm not going to apologize for this. Um, he endorsed Trump. It makes a lot of sense. But there is a difference LePage, who was very conservative, when he first got into office, really um, by, by radical, you know, budget tightening means, straightened out, which was a really dysfunctional um, state government, hmm. uh, a, a dysfunctional state budget system. Makes Massachusetts seem like J.P. Morgan in comparison. Um, but after he, and it was a painful process, but uh, even some Democrats recognized it was necessary. After that, he, um, he is somewhat of a non-entity. And I, I never really thought about this until our guests were talking about what happens to the celebrity politician after a while. Uh, the legislature keeps him as pinned in as they can, even the Republicans. There's occasional talk by the Republicans of impeaching him, but they never quite 
you know, work up the the gumption to do that. So, and he's a Republican. His own party talks about impeaching him. Yeah, I mean, it, it, he, 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 he has ticked everyone off. It'll be very interesting to see whether he's reelected. Now, he's older, fatter, dumpier, more obnoxious than Donald Trump. Um, but we see up in Maine the very thing that we heard about in Italy and the very thing we heard about in Haiti. Um, so we've lived with it. All right. I got a closing question for you. Does our former governor Mitt Romney's speech, which was given on the day that we're recording this, does his broadside against Donald Trump help or hurt Trump's chances of being elected? Well, I would have to say I think it helps. I, Makes I, it more likely that Donald Trump will be elected? No, I, 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 I don't know if I'd go that far. I'd say I think this will stiffen the resolve okay. of the Trumpians. I think it will also give pause to some people who are on the fence. I, you know, have a hard time taking Romney seriously. I thought he was very good. I thought he was very convincing. And I thought, you know, his speech boiled down to two points. Okay, Donald, release your taxes, release the transcript of your off-the-record New York Times interview. That Those two things could become clubs, you know, to beat Donald Trump with. Um, much the same way that uh, Hillary Clinton is beaten about the head with the transcripts from Wall Street. But I, I think almost any attack on Trump does nothing but make him stronger. Peter Kadzis, I got to ask as we part ways here, did I demote you in the introduction? Are you senior editor of WGBHnews.org rather than just editor? I'm, I, I'm, I'm not sure. I, I run the website with Brendan Lynch. I mean, that, that's <laughs> what I do. All right. Uh, Peter Kadzis, senior uh, editor of WGBHnews.org. We'll go with that. Thank you for wrapping with me. And thank all of you, as always, for listening to The Scrum. As many of you know, you can find links to past episodes at blogs.wgbh.org slash scrum. We also have some links to podcatchers such as Stitcher and SoundCloud. Feel free if you listen to us on iTunes to subscribe and to leave a review, hopefully if you're impressed by what you've heard. We also always welcome comments, questions, suggestions, dissension at scrum at wgbh.org. You can email us. Our producer today was Amanda McGowan. The Scrum is a production of WGBH News.